This is Cultivating Convos with the Ohio Department of Agriculture. And it's fun to have everyone else kind of get a little insight into what we do. Farmland forever. Actually, that was the next question I was going to ask you. Shelby, <laughs> let's wrap <laughs> this thing up. <laughs> So, Megs, we've uh, we've had a pretty serious situation that's popped up uh, here in Ohio that uh, that that our department's been handling for the last two weeks. Yeah, I was going to say it's been a really busy two weeks. Um, we've had many, many employees working round the clock, and of course, we appreciate their work, and, and we want to talk about that right now. So joining us, we have our state veterinarian, Dr. Dennis Summers. Um, Dr. Summers, welcome back. Thanks for joining us and, and chatting about this topic. No problem. So uh, obviously we're talking about um, highly pathogenic avian influenza, HPAI, or high path as it's referred to. Uh, why don't you just catch everyone up to what the situation is? And keep in mind, we are recording this on the 16th. Uh, so this is the information that's up to date as, as of this date. Sure, absolutely. Well, I'm I'm sure that uh, you know a lot of our listeners probably already know, but we, we do have... Um, some recent detections here in Ohio for the HPAI uh, avian influenza virus. Um, we had two detections um, around the uh, second and third here of September. Uh, one was in a commercial operation and then another one in a backyard flock, um, one in Defiance County and one in Ashland County. Um, and those have been uh, really getting a lot of our attention, a lot of our work effort, especially on the commercial side. and. Um, you know, again, as you mentioned, as of today, that we, we actually did have a few more detections, some smaller backyard flocks here just in the last week. We had three additional ones, um, Williams County, Al Allen County, and Summit County, uh, some small backyard flocks that did come up positive as well. And we're trying to keep those updated on our website, but correct, as of today, the 16th, you know, we've had five recent detections here in the last two weeks. And, you know, uh, the backyard flocks, we we get to those pretty quickly, but the the commercial operation in Defiance County has been very difficult for everybody that's been involved in, in making sure that we do what we have to do to get that virus uh, stamped out of that flock and 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 try to get these guys back uh, back up in business. So it's it's been very trying, but we're getting through it. And Dr. Summers, can you just kind of explain the process that ODA goes through to? try to contain these detections. And I know that we are also working with other agencies, state and federal. So if you want to talk about that as well. Absolutely. It's hard. It's hard in uh, just one podcast here to list all the activities that we do, but I'll try to give you kind of a general idea of it. You know, the, you know, it's our responsibility here for these viruses. Uh, they, they fall under what's called our dangerously contagious and infectious disease list. So it's our, our animal health reportable disease list and HPI would be one of those viruses that fall there. And so we have the responsibility to make sure that that virus doesn't spread um, and try to do what we can to stamp out that that disease. That does require a lot of assistance to do that. And we work very closely with USDA's um, APHIS, Animal Plant Health Inspection Service. They have a, a division called Veterinary Services. That's our counterpart here in Ohio. We work with them. We work with um, the Department of Natural Resources, uh, Wildlife Services with the USDA, as well as other agencies here in Ohio that help us with, with our response. 
And when I say response, that's exactly what it is, Megan. We make a response effort. Our job is to try to control and contain the virus within the population of animals that we identify at that time. We have active surveillance programs here in Ohio. Um, with HPAI and specifically, we do rely on people calling in with sick birds and we will go out and test them. We also rely on the industry to provide us samples of sick birds as part of the surveillance program here. And so a lot of times that's how we get some of these calls is they notice something's not right. They hurry up and get some samples and bring it down to us. We run our tests here in the lab and you know when we have um, what we call presumptive positive test results, uh, we then start our methodology of our response process. And so the site gets quarantined and we send people out to make sure that there's biosecurity put in place so that we make sure that the virus doesn't come back. We know we know that from the testing, the virus is there. The biosecurity is intended to prevent the, the disease to come on, but we also make sure that we're preventing it from coming back off and spreading beyond that 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 main premise that we identify. But the but but the hard part comes from the fact that with a disease like this, you know, there's a lot of destruction and it's so infectious to other poultry. It spreads very quickly. Mortality rates are very, very high. It's fatal to our our commercial poultry, our our, our domesticated uh, birds that we need to make sure that we remove the virus. And so unfortunately, that does mean that you have to depopulate that premise with those animals. And that's very, very difficult to do on multiple levels, not just logistically, but there's an incredibly emotional toll and financial burden that puts on these producers. This is their livelihood. So we try to make that um, as smooth as possible, even though it's it's not a pleasant thing to do. But then once that's done, we have to make sure that the site is disinfected, that there is what we call virus elimination. And so we have to ensure that there's no more virus there. And so that is done through a series of testing and environmental sampling and you know all these various factors that we do. And there's cleaning and disinfection. We all monitor that and that takes several months to do. Um, and then you've got to dispose of all this stuff. And that's another big hurdle that we have to overcome. So there has to be appropriate disposal under our regulations, along as uh, along with other regulations here in Ohio, for example, like EPA regulations and um, things like that, that we make sure that we're disposing of all these products to ensure that the virus remains contained, it doesn't further spread, and we try to get through that process as quickly as we can, but it's not a quick process, but we do try to do that. And so that's part of this long process here that again it, for uh, uh, sites that are really large commercial operations it's it's going to be it's going to be a little while um, but we try to just get through it the best we can so uh we were just talking that obviously we, we've um, gotten calls from the public people who you know live near these sites etc with various questions um and just if you could quickly address Dr. Summers, um, obviously there's going to be an odor probably in the area, possibly flies. Can you just kind of talk about the things that people who live around there can expect? Absolutely. Um, yes, we that that is something that will happen, um, but it's not a long term thing. It's usually pretty short. Uh, 
You know, depending if you look at what's happened nationally with HPAI in the last couple of months, you can get infected flocks from a single backyard, one single duck or chicken or turkey that's a pet to, you know, some outbreaks in in other states, for example, in Iowa, you know, there were there were flocks of over five million birds. And so based on the size and scale, they the goal is and the the, the biggest strain is you have to get the virus eliminated quickly within the live birds. So unfortunately, that depopulation has to occur very, very quickly in order to try to stamp that disease out. And when that happens, unfortunately, sometimes that, you know, as those birds are there before you can get them into the compost, before you can get them to landfill, you're going to have you're going to have dead birds on a farm. There's just no way around it. And so that does generate a smell. But we try to work with um our other agencies and we work with the producers to try to get those birds put into those disposal channels as quick as possible but it's just a transient thing and we know again based on the volume it's still you know it's still warm out you know if this was winter time probably wouldn't be as noticeable but humidity's down there's nice air you know you're going to notice that for for anybody that's in that vicinity but it, it, it is going to happen. You're going to you're going to have it on large scale operations like that. But, you know, I, I don't think that's going to be, um, you know, maybe just a couple of days to even a week here. And then once we get that disposal underway and get that contained, it, it should start falling off. So it's an unfortunate side effect, but but something that we do have to kind of just work through. Dr. Summers, does HPAI pose any health risk to human? Uh, at the current time, the CDC uh, does not have any increased risk. It's still considered a very low risk. Uh, there were some human-linked illnesses in Europe uh, previously reported, but not to my knowledge of anything that we have from CDC currently indicates that there's any uh, significant risk here to the human population. Again, with the strain that we've identified, it's the same single strain of what we call H5N1. That's the 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 fancy terms that we use for it it's the same one that's been affecting the us now for the better part of almost a year and um so yeah that that risk is extremely low and uh you know with that too our food system is still safe right so our food supply is still safe when it comes to poultry products eggs are safe poultry products that we eat those meat products are still safe just follow your appropriate food safety temperatures for cooking. Make sure you cook your products thoroughly. Try to hit that 165 temperature for poultry and, and you should be fine. So uh, there's not a risk of, of that through, through properly cooked food. Can you explain um, how, how this is uh, transferred? I, I know we have concerns. You've explained to us that there are concerns that we're going to see more of uh, these detections popping up. So can you kind of explain a little bit, you know, how, how the birds get it and then also uh, the biosecurity measures to prevent that? Sure, sure. Well, we know right now the, the number one threat for HPAI to our domestic poultry, our commercial poultry operations in the poultry industry, not just here in Ohio, but across the U.S., the biggest threat comes from the virus being transmitted uh, through migratory waterfowl. Uh, so we're talking about geese, mallard ducks, those migratory water birds where this virus 
is essentially normal within those types of poultry, those types of birds. But when that when that virus gets into commercial birds or or our normal uh, backyard flocks, it's fatal. Uh, it's just a difference in how the, those types of poultry respond. It's the same virus, but in one one species, it's it's basically causes even just a mild diarrhea. You would hardly even notice it. Um, when it gets into geese, it tends to cause uh, more of neurologic signs versus respiratory signs. So it has different manifestations depending on the species. But there are so many migratory birds and they're flying all over the globe. As those birds go through their migratory flight, what we call the flyways, right? As they fly across the earth, going to their summer grounds and their winter grounds, they're flying overhead and they're falling, <clears throat> you know, they're flying into ponds and you know they're just doing what migratory waterfowl do and so we worry about that as the main source of the virus perpetually so when we talk about access and why do certain people get infected well we we know that a lot of the backyard operations there is a direct link to having access to waterfowl they've either got waterfowl on their farm they have open access birds that are kind of free ranging. They come in contact with ducks and geese that fly. They have ponds on their property. These are extremely high risk things that we know are a direct link and probably where the virus is spread through direct contact. So the birds and the chickens are coming together in close proximity and are spreading that through those oronasal secretions and uh, things like that. When you talk on a larger scale for commercial operations, that's where biosecurity really comes into play. And these are barriers and hurdles that a producer would put in place to prevent the virus from getting into their flocks. They don't have to be physical, although some of them can, physical barriers, road signs, um, you know, single access checkpoints, um, foot baths, um, protective booties, anything like that that might be a physical preventive strategy, but also you know, management barriers, not allowing visitors in at certain times and monitoring traffic and buying from known sources, things like that. But we think that what ends up happening is that somewhere along the line, for whatever reason, the virus gets gets trucked in and it can be very simple. And it sounds like a simplistic example, but one that we frequently use is, you know, I could go to a, a, a poultry barn uh, for a tour. I get out of my car, I'm walking across the driveway and I literally just step in droppings that are there you don't you don't you don't see them you don't realize they're there but it, when you have 350 million birds flying overhead of you every night across the u.s they're going to be dropping down those droppings on the environment and so you you step in it you you drag it in on your clothes your hands your feet your boots um and then you then you go into those barns and then three to 21 days later you've got sick birds and uh, so, you know, biosecurity, those measures to prevent that are what help keep our poultry safe. And Ohio does a really good job with the commercial sector of, of having some pretty good biosecurity. Um, I'd say we're, 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 we do a pretty darn good job here in Ohio. But, you know, for whatever reason, we don't always know how it gets into those large flocks, but we think that those are typically some of the ways that they can. And uh, so we, we really push for biosecurity to prevent that. Yeah, that's just really good advice for, you know, large producers, small producers, backyard flocks, whatever you may have. Um, any other advice, Dr. Summers, 
um, for people who own poultry right now, um, what they should be doing or be looking out for or paying attention to? Yeah, I, you know, I really want to make a plea to backyard owners um, that that have poultry. You know, if if you have out, outdoor birds and you have any sort of a coop or anything, try to bring your birds indoors. Definitely restrict access at at all costs if you can to migratory waterfowl. Um, you know, try to keep your visitors and and the on farm people there to limited personnel only. Um, you know, for, again for backyard. Um, owners wash your hands it's something just as simple as washing your hands because you know it's just you know poultry people love their chickens they love their turkeys and they go and they go home and they see them and then they go to their neighbors and they talk about their chickens and they go see theirs and you don't realize that you're just dragging potentially infectious material from one site to another so you know make sure you wear um protective you know disposable booties is always a good idea wash your hands um and we are asking people to call us we're asking you to call us if you have sick poultry um you know we know that you know ducks and geese and turkeys are are popular pets you know for a lot of people they have those backyard operations the smaller ones even on the commercial side but we're asking people to call if you have sick birds we want to come out and sample them we want to be there to help you we are here to help um but if we don't know what's out there and you don't call us, we'll we'll never be able to find it. So we ask you to call. You know, we'll come out, we'll get a sample. We ask that you not bring sick birds to our lab, but we want to talk to you first and make sure that we're we're sampling those correctly. So, you know, just watch your birds and monitor for sick birds and give us a call. Let's talk about fairs real quickly. Uh, obviously, we're it's what the season's winding down, but there are some fairs that are left. And, you know, we, we've got the kids who love love to show their poultry and yeah. uh what uh you know we've had some tough conversations over the last two weeks why don't you talk a little bit about that yeah that has been hard conversations you know you're 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 wanting to keep these fairs going we we love our ohio fairs we want to make sure that they're successful everybody's excited to have them back up and running you know post pandemic and we want to make sure that we're doing our our part to 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 be attentive to them as well but you know there are concerns with that, especially because of the way that uh, fairs typically operate, which is normal. You know, you bring in lots of different birds anywhere from 15 at a small exhibition to 1500 um, and they all come together and they come from different areas and they get in close proximity and then they stay there for a couple of days. And you don't need long to transmit a virus that's rapidly infectious and spreads pretty easily amongst poultry to all of a sudden you know, you're in and out in three days, you haven't even begun to see clinical signs. And then everybody goes back home. And all of a sudden, about seven days later, eight days later, you're getting 40 or 50 people calling in saying, hey, I've got I've got a problem. And all of a sudden you've got this huge, you know, outbreak. That's why we really want to talk to fairs. We want fairs to be very, very careful, very aware of what's going on. And, you know, and that might mean that there's hard decisions that have to be made, especially with, you know, five detections here in under two weeks. Um, they're kind of all over Ohio a little bit, but they uh, they certainly give us great concern. We want the fairs to be healthy and safe, but, you know, is that at the risk of having all these people have have sick birds? I, I you know, I, I, I don't know. I think that that's something that we want to support those fairs, but yeah, they can improve uh, or impose even stricter biosecurity measures as well. 
Um, Shelby, I know that we've talked about that with some of them of, you know, even restricting visitor access or reducing the time that they're on grounds. Um, some of them even choose to cancel their poultry show, which we support. I know that's a hard decision, but, you know, if you're pretty close to a detection, you, you need to you need to be taking a hard look at that. So, you know, we've got sound data that says that that's 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 a good idea. And, you know, we support that and I, I support it 100 percent, despite it being a hard conversation. Yeah. Yeah, well, as we know, the Williams County Fair and Ashland County Fair uh, opted not to have poultry there. And I mean, and it was it was not an easy decision for them. And I, I hope everyone out there understands that, that I mean, That's those right. fair boards really um, had some hard discussions and did what they thought, you know, was best for the safety of everyone. So, yeah, I mean, Williams County, they yeah. canceled the poultry at their fair. Yeah. Two days later, they had a backyard detection yeah. in their county. So yeah. it just goes to show that, you know, those those decisions are uh, they're right. All well, right. Well, thank you, Dr. Summers. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. Max, were you going to say something? I just was going to say, you know, thank you, Dr. Summers and and to your team for all their hard work, because yeah. you guys, they have just been on it from day one and working 24 hours a day. I mean, on it. So they're yeah. doing such a great job. Thank you for that. No, they they have done a really good job. We've got a great crew. We've got some really, really good employees here that are truly dedicated, you know, not just in our field operations, but, you know, our lab here has really ratcheted up the tempo and they've been here, you know, running samples at 1230 in the morning. I mean, it's just everybody is is just dedicated to it. So we're thankful for that. And um, we're just uh, we're blessed to have such good support. Well, thank you. Thanks so much to your team. And uh we're going to stay on top of this. You can always go to our website, um, agri.ohio.gov. Uh, we have a dedicated HPAI webpage on there. So uh, all the information, resources, et cetera. Uh, and we we will probably have you back on uh, soon to talk mm -hmm. about this again. Anytime. Ha you. Happy to do it. Happy to do it. Thanks, Dr. Thank you Summers. very much. Cultivating Convos is created by ODA's communications team. Make sure to hit subscribe to get the latest episodes in your feed and like ODA on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for up-to-date news about agriculture in Ohio.